Welcome into the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Elijah Evans, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff Cohen. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, we're welcoming in Reese White, who works for Prospect Live, doing all different types of prospect coverage, MLB, draft, fantasy, and all of the above. Um, and today is going to be our 2024 Chicago White Sox Fantasy Baseball Preview. Uh, we're looking forward to talking a little bit of everything in the fantasy world. Um, you know, spring training kicked off, so we're going to start with talking a little bit of uh, just spring training takeaways from this first weekend of ball. Unfortunately, uh, only one White Sox game has been televised, so I've only been able to watch one White Sox game, unfortunately, while listening to radio for the rest. Um, we're going to dive into takeaways from that and then jump into some fantasy so for fantasy baseball players we are going to talk redraft fantasy we're going to talk dynasty fantasy um, and even some more things so this is a, this is definitely the episode to, to tune into if you're a big fantasy player and even if not you know we're still going to talk about all different white Sox prospects uh, from the lens of fantasy and from the lens of real life um, so first of all let's start off with this uh welcome in reese how are you doing good to have you on the show uh, I'm good. I'm just in the middle of doing like our big top 100 prospects live. I feel like I was, I mean, I was up to like 2.30 in the morning last night, finalizing some things for that. So I kind of just locked in and I'm focused on that. So it's good. You know, I've got all these thoughts, I got all these prospect thoughts in my head going on. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what's been taking up most of my bandwidth these days is getting that done. We're working on the lists and everything like that over at prospects live. So yeah, I, I can see the finish line. And then basically once we finish up that, it's in-season coverage from there. So I'm very excited to get started. I think April 5th is when the minor league season starts. So um, I, I think, well, actually that's single. I don't know. I don't know all the schedules yet. But I'm very excited to get started with in-season stuff and getting out and seeing all these prospects and everything. Yeah, I'm pumped for the same thing. I know we're uh, we're on the same wave. What would you, if you had to take an estimate, how much do you think you spend on the top 100 list? How much, sorry? Um how many hours? You if you had to guess. Oh, hours. Oh, um, well, let's see. I started yesterday was a good solid seven. Um, just thinking and then write, writing down. So probably like a good like 20, like, and then I'm going to do some, I'm going to do like four or five hours tonight. So yeah, 20 to 25 hours. So basically almost like a half work week, just focusing on one yeah. article. Hey, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It's a, it's a big time article for sure. Um, yeah. So spring training thoughts. Well, uh, I'll, Jeff, if you have anything you can get, it, definitely cut me off, jump into it. Um, but I'll start with you, Reese. In terms of not even White Sox, just in general prospects, if you've watched anything over the last, you know, four days, we're only four days in, so we're we're pretty early on. Um, is there anybody that's really stood out to you or anybody that you are particularly watching uh, this spring? I mean, ever since he hit a 470-foot home run, Spencer Jones has had my full attention. Like, I'm just, uh, as of going into today's games, he had not kind of blown me away. James Wood, his serious power showing up. Um, let's see, other pitchers. Uh, Drew Thorpe, he's his changeup's nasty. Um, and those are, like, the main prospect takeaways from me right now. Oh, George Lombard Jr. being, like, a 19-year-old hitting a home run in spring training. That was pretty sweet. Um, it is kind of a bummer that the White Sox have only had one televised game because I don't understand in the year 2024 why every single minor league game, not minor league, every, well, every minor league game should be televised, but every single spring training game should be televised. Um, but to, to each their own, I guess. Major League Baseball wants to make it as difficult as possible. Um, but yeah, those are the like three main takeaways for me so far. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. It is frustrating that not everything is televised, uh, but those are definitely some guys I've been watching. I know uh, Tamar Johnson, I don't know if you saw this earlier today, hit two home runs that were just both annihilated. Um, that guy's swing is just, he is just, his swing is just so unique. 
and so aggressive, but it just works. And he's still mm-hmm. patient while having a ridiculous swing. It's just he just fascinates me. And uh, as a as a Spencer Jones owner in Dynasty, that's definitely someone I'm watching. Um, and also, you know, Jones is a guy that we talked about a few weeks ago, actually, on the podcast because he was kind of the the holdup in a in a supposed Dylan cease to the Yankees trade. So I can see why the Yankees uh, don't want to move Jones. Honestly, from what we've seen from him in the last year and a half, the, the upside is off the charts with him. So definitely all good guys um, to mention. In terms of White Sox, I have been trying to keep up with some of the stuff going on. You know, we got two starts in the last two days from two of the White Sox top pitching prospects. Uh, Jonathan Cannon started yesterday, and then Nick Nostrini started today for the Sox. Again, neither game was on TV, so I can't really tell you how their pitches looked, uh, unfortunately. And I, I was really hoping to see kind of some of the movement profiles because I Nestrini is someone that Jeff and I have talked about a lot, and he's been kind of adjusting his breaking balls a little bit to try and add some more depth to them. So I, I wish I could see that uh, on camera, but they both of them had good outings. Cannon yesterday, uh, two innings, you know, one hit, no—I think no hits, actually. Two innings, no hits, and two strikeouts. Just a pretty clean start, pounding the zone. And then Nestrini today gave up one run on a— funky little triple, um, but otherwise two clean innings aside from that triple and a sack fly. So cool, cool stuff from the White Sox so far. It's good to see some of the things. Um, Jeff, is there anybody you're kind of especially tuned into so far right now? Well, obviously, um, we shouldn't draw any conclusions from three games, but nevertheless, it was fun to see, you know, guys like, well, certainly Jordan Leisure get in the game and have a one, two, three inning. Um, but even guys like, you know, Tyler Schweitzer got in the game, Frazier Ellard. It's just good to see these guys at least have a chance. Yeah, 100%. It's great to see some of the young arms just get an appearance. And, you know, that's what spring training is all about, right? Especially with a team like the White Sox where, you know, uh, Reese, one of the things we've talked about constantly is that the White Sox pitching is just like totally up in the air. Uh, there's probably about five pitchers that actually have guaranteed roster spots right now. So when you look at the the status of the organization, the pitching is something that I'm just really keyed in on because there's so many guys that could make this roster. There, there's players that with a strong spring could come out of nowhere and, and snag a bullpen spot or even a rotation spot for that matter. There's still two rotation spots that are pretty wide open with a lot of guys competing for them. So, you know, there, there's a lot to watch with the White Sox and that's why I I'm excited to get out there in person and be able to see stuff because if they're not going to televise it, I guess I just have to go to Arizona. Um, so I'm on my way there next week and very excited to see how the pitchers look, especially. Um, but that's uh, we're going to have a lot more to talk about with spring training. We've got a month to go. Um, and, you know, next thing you know, we're, we're a month away from regular season baseball, which is uh, really exciting. And then the minor league season, which we're all super keyed in on. Um, so let's let's dive into the fantasy side of things. We'll talk, we'll start with kind of redraft leagues. I think the, the traditional base fantasy baseball is, you know, just you're, you draft every year, you have a team, it's just for that season. Um, and then we'll get into dynasty a little later. But in terms of redraft leagues, um, starting with just the regular, the major league team race, is there anybody on the White Sox that you would be targeting in terms of just a value play? Obviously, Luis Robert is is your superstar. You know, he he's a beast, he, the home runs, he's going to get some stolen bases. He's just overall a great fantasy player. Um, but is there anybody within the White Sox current roster that you see being kind of a, a nice little value player to target i always think Luis robert robert is a great value like I, one of these days i just feel like he's going to put up an mvp season and i want that to be on my fantasy roster every single year i'm always going to take a chance on him yeah. andrew vaughn i always you know great hit tool good power um i think i think one of these days he's going to fully put it together and be you know that i mean not like he had a bad season or anything last year but he's definitely someone who I'm kind of excited to see how he goes. I kind of like Paul DeYoung as like a stopgap. Like maybe he figures it out. I mean, he's kind of only there to like, you know, give them an excuse not to have Colson Montgomery up on the roster, but you know, to each their own, I guess. Um, but I mean, he, he's fine. He's, he's a perfectly fine placeholder. 
Um, I mean, not Martin Maldonado, that's for sure. He is, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's not something. I mean, I do, I'm really interested to see Eric Fetty's return. Like, I am so fascinated to see because he was someone who I loved as a prospect and then he just could not get it figured out. And then he went over to Korea. And I mean, I'm excited to see what he does because this is, you know, if he, if he figured everything out in Korea, he could come back. And I mean, being the number two in this rotation is, is a really good like get, get for them. It wasn't like crazy expensive either, as far as like getting a guy like who had that sort of cap stats and everything. Um, and like you said, the, like the, the four or five spots really up in the air, like Michael Soroka, it feels like, Everybody fighting for this job used to be a former like top pitching prospect. You have Davey Garcia, Tuki Toussaint. I mean, Garrett Crochet is probably not going to be a starter, but like it's still like you know, like it feels like a blast from the past with the back of this bullpen or back of this rotation. And I kind of hope Michael uh, Soroka wins it. Like he was good when he was healthy, and then just never stayed healthy. So hopefully this change of scenery, you know, a little bit less pressure going from the Braves um, to the White Sox really unlocks some things for him. He's definitely worth a flyer. Um, and, yeah, so far as the Major League roster goes, I'm kind of surprised that Corey Lee – I mean, roster resource doesn't protect Corey Lee as a starter. I mean, I would do that. I mean, what do you have to see with Max Stassi? But, I mean, I guess, like I said, teach their own. Um, and Gavin Sheets, I always like Gavin Sheets. He's perfectly fine. I think one of these days he's going to end up, you know, playing, you know, pretty significant playing time. So he's someone who I would definitely, I kind of like as like a late flyer, early, like um, waiver wire type guy. Yeah. You mentioned a ton of good names, Jeff. You Your thoughts first, and then I'll get mine. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions for Reese. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on Yon Moncada and, how much faith you would put in him for a bounce back season. You know, Elijah and I were kicking around his situation um, before we went on the air. And when he's healthy, he can be a game changer, a really dynamic player. But, you know, he's got to stay healthy. And so I'm curious uh, how much faith you would put in him and where you might take him in a draft. I put quite a bit of faith in him, especially because the third base position is not super strong. Uh, where is he going these days? It doesn't seem like, let's see. I could, going he's going, uh, yeah. yeah, like the highest 267, 476. So he's like one of the last guys you'll draft in like a 12-team, 15-team league. So he's definitely, I like the bounce back potential. I always liked him. He's a, he was a good prospect. Like you said, couldn't stay healthy, hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, when healthy, he's definitely a contributor for a fantasy team. And I think he's he's going into his free agent year, right? Like, this yep. is like, this is his last chance. So this is his chance to possibly set himself up. I mean, the dude already got paid, like, what, $72 million when he basically, before he played a game extension. in the Major League. So that was pretty sweet, yeah. And then he got that extension as well. Um, so this is his big chance to kind of bounce back and put himself back on the map and in, in what is a pretty all right free agent class if i remember correctly he's someone who could definitely you know be good and i really hope that he's like hitting towards the middle of this lineup i mean he's like what 20 home runs he's not as much of a stolen base threat as he used to be which kind of is a bummer but i mean like a 260 batting average uh 20 to 25 home runs i think that's that that's like well within his range of outcomes yeah, I think it's interesting with Mancada because you, like you said, the free agent class is it's not bad, but it's it's Juan Soto and then the rest when it comes to hitters. So I think with with a guy like Mancada in terms of the infield scope of free agency, if he produces anywhere near you know his 2019 season or even his 2021 season when he was mostly healthy, he could really escalate himself into somebody who could be looking at you know a three four year deal in free agency if he stays healthy this season. And from the White Sox perspective, if he has a bounce back in the first half of the season. He's trade potential, right? 
That's another thing to consider for sure. Uh, I want to follow up on a few of the guys you mentioned earlier, because some of the, you basically said most of the names I was thinking about. Um, Eric Fetty is someone that I'm targeting in in pretty much every redraft league because you can get him really late. You know he has a role. It's not like a guy who, there's a lot of pitchers out there who they're exciting and probably, there's guys who are five starters on other teams that are probably better than Eric Fetty, all things considered, but they're fighting for a spot. Eric Fetty is the two starter on this team, like guaranteed two starter, like you said. He is going to be in the rotation. He got signed for $15 million over the next two years, right? So he's truly locked into this rotation with Dylan Cease right now, assuming Cease doesn't get traded. There's there's a world where Fetty's the opening day starter if Cease still gets traded. And in general, Fetty's someone who completely adjusted his pitch mix. I, I've read a lot of good things about what he was doing in Korea. He won the KBO MVP after adding a sweeper and adding kind of twiddling around with his fastballs a little bit, adding some more movement to his fastballs. Um, I was reading about how he kind of upped his, his break on his fastballs when he was in Korea. So I think, you know, a totally different look. He, his last major league season was not good. It was like you said, he was, he was a prospect. He had some, a lot of pedigree It never just, it never clicked, but you know, he's got a fresh start. I think he could be someone that could be really sneakily a, a good piece to have in fantasy and then the other guy that I wanted to touch on that you just said was Soroka because Soroka wasn't just like, okay, when he was with the Braves and I get it. It's four years ago. It's hard to gauge. He dealt with the injuries. He didn't play all of 2021 and 2022 came back last year, really struggled last season, but the guy was second in rookie of the year in 2019 and was an all-star in his first full professional season. He had a two, six, eight ERA across 29 starts in 2019 at 21 years old. So this isn't someone who was just like, oh, he showed a little bit of potential um, as a young player in the league. He was legitimately like the future of the Braves rotation at that time. Like there was people thinking he was going to be, you know, he was going to be what Spencer Strider is right now. Maybe not quite as dominant as Spencer Strider, right? But this was a guy who was one of the best pitchers in baseball as a 21-year-old rookie. So I, I really hope Soroka gets a rotation spot. I don't think He's someone you can really justify taking in a redraft league, especially if it's a smaller, you know, 10, 12 team league, just because there's so much risk there and you don't even know if he has a rotation spot, but he's someone I'm keeping an eye on, on waivers. I think, you know, if he, if he claims a true four or five spot in this rotation and he's healthy, we could see him tap into some of that, you know, immense ability that we, that we saw four years ago. Um, I like everybody else that you said too. I mean, Andrew Vaughn is somebody worth considering. Um, I, I have Vaughn in my dynasty league and Vaughn's someone that I have a lot of faith in. And I think he just continues to, he hasn't taken that big step, but you never know. He, he was a third overall pick for a reason. He was one of the best college hitters in this past generation, frankly. So he's someone that at any given point could really elevate his game and become a 30 home run consistent on base threat. Um, anybody else, either of you that's on your mind in this, as we talk a uh, redraft, one of the things with Fetty is also he's going to pitch a lot. Like he just got done pitching 180 innings over in Korea. So like assume that like he stays at that level. If he stays healthy, I mean, he's going to give you every opportunity to put up strikeouts. I mean, hope the ERA should be fine. Like I don't think it's going to be like, you know, I don't think he's going to be, you know, blowing anybody away with a two ERA like he did in Korea or anything, but like, you know, a strikeout per innings and at 180 innings. I mean, I think this is a dude who's like, yeah, like being severely underrated. And like one of the big things in fantasy baseball is especially you want to look at these teams that are rebuilding and deep in a rebuild and are willing to give these guys like plate appearances or innings pitch 
because that's just a way to like mine production and it might not be like the sexiest production but it doesn't really matter at the end of the season whether you're in a head-to-head league you could win a playoff game because eric you could win a playoff round and end up making money in your league because eric fetty pitched well in october or not october uh, uh, i mean if he pitched well in october then you know everybody's got to reevaluate projection systems and everything like that but um you know late in the season like early september and everything like that so I, i'm definitely like i said in on fetty and Soroka was someone who's like a top 20 prospect at his peak. So it's just, you know, it's sad to see what happened to him. Yeah, completely. Um, I want to get your thoughts. We'll we'll move to dynasty in a little bit here, but I want to get your thoughts on, on Eloy this season. None none of us mentioned Eloy. It's a, it's a tricky case. It's another, I guess, similar to Moncada in regards to, you know, he can, he can be great. We we saw in 2019, Eloy was, Eloy was phenomenal. Um, And even in 2020, when he was on, again, when he's on the field, he's got a lot of upside. But the other thing with Eloy is I believe, I'm not sure about how all dynasty leagues or all fantasy leagues in general work positionally, but I think he was only DH eligible now after last season because he didn't play the outfield at all last year. So that kind of complicates things when you're, when you're looking at a guy who a lot of leagues don't even have a DH spot and you have to then use Eloy at a utility spot. Um, what do you see his value being at and how do you kind of picture his, you know, what this season looks like for him? Most of it, it's all going to come down to whether he's healthy or not. Like if he's healthy, he has 30 pumps in him. Like it's like undeniable power. It's just, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. It does suck that he is util only, but he's not like, you're not drafting him super early. Like I'm just looking at ADP right now. Like the earliest that, um, that he's been drafted is 98 minute or you know and the latest he's been picked is 295 so it's a pretty big swing in what he is 224 adp so like if you're getting that and then you can kind of plug him and play when he's when he's when he's healthy i think that's great i think he's definitely there's 30 pumps in there it's just maybe everything else isn't so sexy he's not a guy who's going to steal any bases or anything but when he's healthy he can hit and he can hit for power and that's all you're really asking for at this point with him hey reese uh, i'm one other guy i'm curious about is uh ben intendi you know he, not a big stolen base guy, not a big power guy, but I guess when he's healthy and playing well, he's a good on base guy. Do, do you see much value there? See a bounce back this year? I think there is some bounce back because he just had a t- terrible season last year. So I think there's some bounce back potential with him. He's always someone who's like, what, 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases. If you get that, you're great. Great. He's like a last sort of like outfield guy in a deeper league. So he's there's some bounce back potential with him that I'm actually kind of excited to see, and he should hit top the top of line this lineup for the entire season if he's healthy and and you know even moderately producing because it doesn't seem like I don't imagine Colson Montgomery's going to hit towards the top of the lineup. I think he's going to hit in the middle like three four because they kind of you know I think he has that sort of bat and that sort of potential. So he's definitely someone who Ben Intendi sort of got the one or two spot in this lineup lockdown, and you know one and two spots in bad lineups still produce fantasy value. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point because I think he he does have the inside track to the leadoff spot. It seems like Grafol has Grafol has not said he's the leadoff hitter, but has implied that Benintendi's definitely the leading candidate for the job right now. So, like you said, it's a, you know he he will get brought in by Robert on some home runs and Eloy on some home runs, and he'll find a way to to get on base at the top of the order, and then it it's at bats right at the end of the day. Like you're like you're talking about fantasy is like it comes down to availability, and Benintendi's going to get everyday reps. He's going to bat first or second in the order so that's something to consider even if he is coming off of a career worth season so yeah that's great um let's uh let's shift over to the prospect side of things in terms of a re we'll, we'll stick on a redraft leagues here who are some prospects in the white Sox system that could make a legitimate impact as a rookie 
I think the big one is Colson Montgomery. I think he's primed and ready to like. I'm, I'm honestly surprised they're not like. There's not more talks of like. He seems like the perfect candidate for one of these like pre-debut extensions. I don't know if the White Sox are really like sort of into that. I didn't think the Tigers were sort of into that until Colt Heath yeah. happened. So I guess you never know until it happens. But he's definitely like the big one. Um, I mean, Nestrini could very well be up really quickly, and he's someone who he might walk a few guys. But like he's gonna strike out a bunch of guys. He's someone who I'm very excited about. Um, and as far as I mean, Brian Ramos could. Um, I just don't know what their ultimate plans are with him, like how they're going to assign him and everything like that. But he's someone who I would definitely have interest in in a redraft league, like one of these like draft and hold sort of things. I think he's got some value. I mean, Jake Eater as well. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think Jake Eater was as bad as he was when he came over to the White Sox. I also maybe think he was a little bit overrated when he was with the with the Marlins. So maybe there's somewhere in the in the middle that he is that I think that's where his prospect status will be. And he might be a nice bounce back too. Corey Lee is like I don't think he's technically a prospect, but he's like prospect adjacent. He could he could like get like you know the backup catcher and maybe some DH um, time because he, he he can't really like he's a fine catcher I guess. Martin Maldonado is going to catch it all the time because that seems like he has a blood pack with every manager that he's ever been with. To play and like ruin like you know younger catchers and stifle their development um but um yeah i, I kind of like him if, if something happens uh as well Corey lee's like my like deep flyer who's like in triple a ready to go yeah what about a guy like jordan leisure as a sneaky source of saves maybe the second half of the season i like i oh sorry my bad i was just gonna say you know they traded santos it's wide open yeah, that that closer role is like really wide open. I think right now roster resource has uh I never know how to pronounce his last name. Uh Briba as um oh, as the, yeah. Yeah, he's the projected closer, but it's not like he's some guy who's you're really scared of. I think Leisure has a chance to really step in and leisurely take a stroll into the closer role, but he uh, I have that written down. Um I shouldn't have stopped that with that but, yeah, um, it wasn't as smooth once I brought it up, but um, I mean, any one of these relievers could really get the get that closer job, and I think he like Garrett Crochet could. I mean, he's I don't I don't I if I don't understand how they're handling him. It's been kind of weird his entire career. This is a dude who's just like he, he just got filth, but he's um, yeah I I like Leisure as like a late like dark throw second half um, closer type. I mean, any one of these, any one of these like younger rope pitchers. I mean, Tuki Toussaint could maybe finally put it together. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on Davy Garcia. I think that guy was like maybe one of the more overrated prospects we've seen in a long time. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, you guys I have like Braden Shoemaker too. Yeah, Shoemaker was, was an off-season acquisition. There's a chance he gets reps at second base. Um, I like, I like the. I mean, the first two are obvious. I think Colson is the guy who. I, I it's curious. I'm curious to see. I want to ask you this in a second, but Colson is the timeline on Colson is definitely varying in terms of opinions within people in the White Sox world. I think I've heard. I, I know some people that are like, yeah, he's like bring him up immediately. Let's go for it. Why not? And then I know some people um, that are kind of like, you know, this, not even this season, really, maybe at the end, very end of the year. Um, it, it's interesting to see kind of where people land on him. Um, I like Nostrini a lot. I, I've talked about him plenty, plenty of times on the show. Um, I think in terms of a guy who could legit get 
10 strikeouts per nine um, right off the bat as a major leaguer. Nestrini is that guy. And then, like you were just saying, Leisure is someone who, I, I mean, the White Sox bullpen is wide open. Jordan Leisure has one of the best fastball slider combos of any young pitcher prospect, especially relief pitcher prospect in the minor leagues right now. The fastballs, I mean, 75, 80 grade fastball. The slider plays well. He's working on a curveball that he implemented in the Arizona Fall League. Um, if you've got a guy like Jordan Leisure with the fastball he has that can work two breaking balls even somewhat effectively, that's a guy who could be a closer for this team given the other options. I really don't see Brebbia or I've seen people saying Corey Kniebel could be a closer because he made a few saves for the Phillies three years ago. Sure, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, I think I think come August, Jordan Leisure is getting saves, if not sooner, honestly, because he is by far the highest upside uh, reliever of any of these other random non-roster invites that are on the that in spring training right now. So I like all those guys a lot. Um, and another guy that I think is interesting, technically prospect status, is Dominic Fletcher. Um, I, we, none of us mentioned him either. Just acquired uh, a month ago for Christian Mena, which is an interesting trade that I still am not sure I love, but Fletcher is someone who hits for a lot of contact. He's going to steal some bags, um, and he's got the opening day route to the right field job. So another guy that I have at least on my radar to a degree. I'd like to back up just for a second and, and get – your thoughts, both of you, on um, Colson's timetable. That's a really interesting issue. I know that teams don't play around with starting a guy's six-year clock like they used to, but it is still a factor for the White Sox, right? I mean, they're probably not going to be competitive for two years. Do you use two of those years to get Colson ready for 2026? Is that, is that still a factor at all? I think with someone like him, I wouldn't waste the time. I, there were points in the season, and you would see it in Double A. Like the approach is really refined. There's the power there. He's never really like lit up like the like you know his his most home runs at a stop is five. But he does you know he's been moving around, um, and he doesn't stay in a spot for like super super long. He doesn't have like an extended track record at a certain spot, and so that kind of explains why he hasn't like you know had like a ten home run like in one stop season. But I think he's ready. Like, there's like, there's just like this refined approach that I mean, the White Sox c could use right now. Like, he's ready. I think shortstop defense wise, I think he's a little. There's still it's still coming together. But I mean, he's ready. Like in the in the batter's box, I think I think he's ready to go. I thought it was, I was surprised that he didn't get like a late season call up last year. Wow. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that last year was the injury stuff too. He did have an injury that held him out the whole first half of the season. So I think if he was healthy all of last year, I would be a little bit more in line with you. I think, like you said, the power is there. I haven't seen it come through to the full degree. I think he is a really, really intelligent hitter. The approach is excellent. He walks, he knows how to pick his pitches. I want to see him kind of have a few more of those impact stretches where he really just gets on one he's driving the ball all over the field i think he needs a little bit more of that time um, in the minors just because the injury last year again if you give him three more months in double a last season sure i'm all for sending it this year i, I want to see him in charlotte um, in triple a for a few months just because at least a month or two um, just because i think he has even more impact to really tap into and with that approach he's going to be able to find more of that power and find more of that consistency and just just becoming an even more well-rounded hitter um, like you said the defense is getting there it, it's the arm is there he just needs to kind of his range is a little bit iffy at times the footwork is clean um, but it's not always 
getting to the the full range that he might be able to as he ages. Um, you know, he's a big dude, right? So that definitely plays a factor. Uh, but I do think he's getting close. I think um, the way I look at it is probably mid-season. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I get the young thing. Um, I, I really do. I kind of am a fan of it just because this year is such a rebuild, figure out what you have type of season. I'm okay with going with a few months of a stopgap. And then when Colson's ready, I, I think it's like an all-star break thing. I, I think that's about when I see him being up this season. I, I don't, if the White Sox were at all competitive, I'd be more inclined to say, let's do it. His approach is there. He can handle it because I think he probably can. Um, but I also don't think there's a rush. And, and I think that a mid-season call-up is probably the most logical plan. I do also think that teams should be a little bit more aggressive with these types of prospects, especially with the new rules. You get that you get that first round pick if they finish in like the like what is it top five in rookie of the year. If they debut, they you also get like I didn't realize this until recently. You also get picks later on down the road if they get like finish top five in MVP voting. The moment that they enter. I guess we can call it like a program or something like that. Basically, if you make the major league roster from opening day, uh, don't have your service time manipulated or anything like that. And I think that's just such a value to teams that I wouldn't be surprised to see more prospects going like that. I don't know if the White Sox are exactly like, and, and, and it does, I think it also kind of just depends on the class of rookies. Like we have a really good crop of rookies in the AL. I mean, we might have White Langford. We might have Jackson Holiday breaking camp. Junior Caminero probably breaks camp, although you never know with the Rays. The Rays always want to try to save a buck where they can, um, and he might be too expensive for them. Um, and Colt Keith, he's like a dark horse kind of contender for that because he's got the extension. He's ready to go. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of guys, and like, so I just almost wonder if they're better off just letting him go, sink or swim, jump. You'd be like, okay, we're gonna make the double A to to. Um, to the majors jump. And if he can't, if you, if he can't handle it just yet, I don't think it really ruins his confidence. You just send him down to Charlotte, allow him to work on some things. And then he comes back up. I mean, it worked well with Jordan Walker last year. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting take. I, I don't, I don't hate the idea. I think I, I'm a little more conservative with that stuff just because he's one of the few with, with the current status of the White Sox. He's one of the few players that I like, I'm sure is going to be a big leaguer. So I'm kind of hesitant to say like, just go for it, but it's not a terrible idea. Um, before I want to jump into dynasty stuff soon, but if you were to give Colson Montgomery a pre-arb extension today, where would the max value on that deal be for you? And how many years for, for reference for everybody, Colt oh, Keith is a, is a comparable situation for someone. Hmm, it's just cutting out a little bit. Can you hear him, Jeff? No, no. I've got a little spinny wheel going on his uh, profile. At all. There we go. Yeah. Um, ooh, that's a great question. I have no idea. I think I cut out there for a second. Uh, my internet might be a little wonky. Um, shout out to uh, Mediacom. Because uh, anytime it's windy around here, Mediacom decides to shut down. But um, yeah, like upwards, like even with all the escalators involved. Let's say max deal, as if like Colt Keith's was eighty two million nine years. If it maxes out, what would your what would your max out over an extension be for him? Uh, I'd still go with the nine years because I feel like that buys out three years of your um, free agency. I think you could go one hundred and ten, one hundred and fifteen with him because wow. you you do know that he can play shortstop. All right. Yeah, I think that's a that's I think that's 
that's fair. Honestly, that's a, that's definitely a big contract, but I, I don't hate the idea of it. I think, especially with obviously being backloaded, I think that's a hundred million dollars plus for, for a guy like Montgomery is definitely realistic the way what we've mm-hmm. seen so far. So I don't think the White Sox will do it. I think they're a little bit hesitant to do something like that because of the deals with Mancada and Jimenez and all these other deals they made five years ago that have aged somewhat poorly. The Luis Robert deal has aged excellently because you're paying a, a all-star center fielder only $12 million, $15 million, I think now. So that's a great deal. But on the flip side of that, the Moncada deal and the Jimenez deal, I mean, right now they're paying Moncada $25 million this year for a guy who is not done what he was supposed to do. So, you know, it's it, there's a give and take. Um, I think it's it comes with risk in itself. But I, I, it's interesting to hear your, your take on Montgomery. And I'm sure Sox fans are glad to hear that you're, you think he's ready sooner than later because that would be the hope for, for a lot of people. Uh, shifting over to kind of the dynasty perspective, obviously Colson Montgomery, I can assume is your number one White Sox prospect. Uh, but beyond Montgomery, who are some of the guys you really like for dynasty based on kind of, as opposed to the average? Um, do we want to go close to the majors or far away from the majors? Let's, let's start with close and then we'll go far. I love Edgar Cuero. I watched him like a lot when he was with the Angels organization. I was actually there the day he got, or I was um, at the affiliate and Perry, whatever the Angels GM, he was there to go see his first round pick. And you heard um, people celebrating in in the box about the trade, the Lucas Giolito trade. And then I saw the return. I was like, I don't know if I'd be celebrating that return. Like that's (laughs) not, that is not what I would have given up for Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez. Um, and but yeah he's awesome Edgar Cuero he can really catch and I think fantasy it doesn't include defense but it's good to have good defensive players because especially a catcher you think you, you can't really sacrifice anything there um he's got a he's got really good he's got a really good feel for just making contact he won't blow you away with the power but I do think there's more to come he's definitely like the big like close to the majors guy that I'm like really in yeah. on um I he's awesome I was kind of I was blown away that they got him for a rental so two two rentals that they ended up dumping six weeks later for angels reasons i guess um so yeah yeah i couldn't agree more with you on that one i think carol um, was, I was, I was shocked awesome that. um we talked yeah. about him a little bit um i'm trying to think who else is close prelander barrero he's gonna he could be a closer pretty quickly he's got closer level mm-hmm. stuff he also like he might cause like people to lose years off their life with his command um <laughs> But his stuff's nasty. Um, so those are like the three like close to the majors guys for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a good list. I'm I'm with you 100 percent on Caro. Um, I think Caro's his approach and contact skills as a catcher is going to be extremely valuable as he ages. And from a fantasy perspective, right, you're getting a catcher who could re can really really make contact and walks at an over 10 percent clip his entire minor league career. So that's someone who's going to provide value in multiple ways he has some sneaky speed too for a catcher uh, i'm not saying he's going to steal a bunch of bases but he is generally fairly fast for catcher standards um, and i think he's got a lot more power we saw it in 2022 when he was 19 and single a you know the, the power was really apparent there and then at getting pushed to double a this past season it can it scaled back a little bit but still more to tap into he's a strong guy um, and in general, I think that's someone who at the catching position could prove to be really valuable. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned Estrini. I think Baroa is another guy too. Um, that's, that's a good take. I think Baroa is beyond leisure. I think he's the second guy that you're looking at as, as, you know, a potential back end bullpen guy. If it clicks, the command is iffy to say the least, but if it, if it works, it could work really well. Um, Jeff, what are you saying, thinking about those guys or anybody else? Oh, I think that's a great take, especially the Baroa. I'd, 
completely forgotten about him. And uh, if, if, if he has any kind of control at all, he'll move right up, right up the ladder. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, how about some guys that are, you know, the young, the, the, the deep dynasty, the deep dynasty leagues, right? Uh, I mean, I play in a league with, with 40, with 30 minor league spots. I know Jeff plays in a league with a bunch of minor league spots. Um, who are some of the guys that are, you know, long-term pieces um, within the organization that you could see really being something eventually, not, not anytime soon. Okay. Uh, George, oh, how do you pronounce his last name? Walcow. Walcow. He is, if he can get his hit tool to be like around average, this dude could be a monster. Like he has like all the potential. There's also all the risk in the world with him. He's like the ultimate yep. upside prospect. I mean, they got him for pretty good money too in the seventh round. So he's definitely someone who's of interest. I think Noah Schultz has maybe the most upside of any pitcher in the low minors. I mean, he is a freak. Like he, like, when he starts to add a little bit more muscle and gets his like long limbs all synced up and everything, he's someone who I like, I, I am obsessed with. Like I watched a bunch of his starts, even though I didn't end up writing his report for prospect live. He's just someone who I kept turning to. Who's just, he's just awesome. Um, he's going to rank pretty highly. I think we're like the high guys on him in like the industry, as far as like our real life list goes. Um, but he's got all the, all the upside in the world. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the pitching prospect that far away, there is also all the risk in the world. But yeah, he's someone who I'm, I, I'm like, I, I can't like, I can't stop thinking about how awesome he might be. Um, and then as far as other guys, I don't know if he stays a starter, but Juan Corella, I really like him. I thought that was a really good trade for the White Sox. I thought they did really well in that trade, um, trading off Mid- um, Kenyon Middleton, right? That was that, that, that trade. Yep. Yeah, that was a good trade for them. I think, I mean, he might end up being a reliever, but he could be a good like eighth inning hold sort of guy. Yeah. Um, takeaways there. Uh, Walcow is my guy. I interviewed him when he got drafted. I played against him in high school uh, back in the day. So a guy that I, I've got to see from a young age, I watched him play when he was a freshman in high school. The dude has all the upside in the world. Um, I totally agree with you. It's the profile is obviously risky, uh, but you know, in a year, a few years from now, he could be, we could be talking about him as a Spencer Jones type of prospect there. There's that type of upside there with Walcow. Um, and then I like that you mentioned Corella. Juan Corella is a guy that I, I have a lot higher on my top 30. I believe I have him ranked 21st on my top 30, as opposed to the industry, which is kind of around the edge of the 30-ish range on him. Um, I think he was a really under-the-radar pickup at the deadline, like you mentioned. Getting him for a rental minimum reliever is pretty crazy. Um, and I think he's someone who was just steady all season last year at the high A level and is going to get a chance in Birmingham this year, probably a double A and a a pretty young guy who just has a quality pitch mix, looks like a starter command, overall solid command, solid stuff, just a, just a young solid arm um, who I like as a stash. And then, you know, Noah Schultz, right? Like you said, that the upside is there. I I own Noah Schultz in my dynasty league. I will be holding onto him um, for as long as ever. Um, And he is someone who could be phenomenal there there's risk there's injury risk there's reliever risk i get it but if you're looking at pure upside and you're trying to build a long-term dynasty team noah schultz is about as exciting as it gets um, with the stuff that we've seen from him in minimal outings jeff what are your thoughts on those guys oh yeah absolutely um noah is is real exciting but uh i wanted to tell reese about two other guys that you and i are really excited about uh Two, two young pitchers, Jonathan Cannon and uh, Mason Adams. And uh, Reese, are you familiar with those guys? I am familiar with uh, Jonathan Cannon. Um, actually, I really liked his his stuff. He was someone who we have him as the um, 
one, two, three, four, fifth best White Sox prospect. So we're, I think we're pretty wow. high on him. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, um, yeah, like it was, um, I, I'm really in on him. Uh, Adams, I'm not as familiar with. Um, yeah, Adams was not... a 13th. Yeah, he was a 13th rounder last year. So somebody that's totally under the radar. And me and Jeff were both just impressed with this past season because he kind of, he started his career as the piggyback for Noah Schultz when Schultz was kind of first getting his big league, his, his minor league action. Adams was the guy who came in. Schultz would throw three innings in Kannapolis uh, in single A. And then Adams would come in and throw like five, sometimes six innings out of the bullpen. Um, and then eventually transitioned into being a starter the second half of the season um, and really just was incredibly steady all season and just command command of a guy that you expect to have been in the minors for three years and he's in his first professional season. Um, an older prospect, lower ranked, uh, but someone that we're really high on here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good stuff. Um, what else? How, Take it away. How do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about Wilfred Varis? I like him a lot. Um, I don't <laughs> think he can hit very much, but when he does hit, it goes pretty far. So um, he's someone who I've always kind of had a soft spot for. Yeah, that's funny you say that. We uh, we just had a whole Wilfred Varys segment about two weeks ago on the show because I was saying how, you know, it yes, he chases a ton. He's going to – he strikes out too much, but the dude can hit the ball. His exit velos are insane. He had 39 doubles last season. Um, I mean, he just drives the – he just really drives the ball and drives it all over the field too when he makes contact. It'll, it'll come down to if he can reduce that chase rate and reduce that whiff rate because he does swing a lot and really aggressively. Um, but Varys is someone that I'm also – I'm way higher than the industry on him. I think I had him as my 12th prospect in the system um, as opposed to the consensus around around 20 or so. So Varys is somebody that I, I really like because of the just the pure upside at the plate. Um, he's kind of figuring out his defensive position. He shifted from the infield to the outfield. He looked better in right field um, last season down the stretch than he had kind of anywhere else. So I think right field is probably where he sticks because the arm is good. Uh, he just needs to kind of develop some more lateral quickness and some more movement out there. Uh, but Varys is someone that I, I like a lot as a, as a deep fantasy sleeper. We um, had a fun podcast last week, Reese. We, uh, tried to predict the 2026 White Sox opening day lineup. And it was interesting, Elijah and I, well, we figured we said 2026 because that's when we think the competitive window opens up again. And Elijah and I both had Varus as our designated hitter on that team. I like that. I think actually, I agree, especially because in the American League Central, your competitive window opens up a year earlier than it should. Like it, the American League Central that's just dying. It's a it's a division that's just dying to be taken by one of these teams. Like I'm surprised. Like I, the Twins just made a trade today, and I'm like, fine, whatever. Like Manuel Margot and the Twins doesn't really change anything for me. Doesn't move anything at all. I don't think it moved anything in the projection systems either. Um, and they were a team that were cutting payroll, and they and they gave up like their really good second baseman, Noah Polanco. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I think 2026, and if Wilfred Veras can be a DH by then. I think that will be fantastic. I love him. Like, yeah, it might be, it could be 30 home runs, but he hits 210. Like he's, he's definitely someone who I, I, I'm very excited about. Uh, another guy I wanted to ask you guys about Jacob Burke. What do you guys think of him? Cause he looks like he is yoked out of his mind. Like he looks like he like yeah. doesn't miss like any, any day at the gym. Like he's always, looks like he's the type that pounds protein shakes with every meal. Um, so, I mean, and it's which is interesting because, like, he doesn't – I don't think he hits for a lot of power. I was wondering if you guys knew really – I mean, there's some power, but, like, not as much as you would think for yeah. someone of his, like, physique. Um, I was wondering what you guys thought about him. We we like Burke a lot. I think we, uh, we both had him as our, like, fourth outfielder um, on that 2026 projection because I do think the speed is there. The defense is 
excellent. And this is not a fantasy perspective, but from a defensive perspective, he is one of the more impressive uh, outfielders in the system, probably by the most impressive defensive outfielder in the farm system. Um, He made some plays last year that were just ridiculous. And I think there's more power to tap into. Like you were saying, he's a big dude. He's got strength. He just has a very line drive oriented swing from what I've seen from him. So a lot of his kind of impressive at bats are more like line drive singles or a double in the gap, something along those lines. Um, but I think there's more power to tap into there. If he can find a way to really channel his his ability, his strength into more game power, if he kind of finds a way to launch a little bit more, um, I think he could be someone that could really play up because the, the floor is so high with him because the defense and the speed is excellent. Yeah. And where did Jacob Gonzalez fit into your guys' 2026 roster? He's, um, he's, he's someone I'm not super like in on. Like he can play shortstop. That's like the one thing I do know. I'm I'm worried about the hit tool and everything like that. Yeah, he he wasn't on my projection uh, personally. I I am I'm not a huge Gonzalez guy. I think there's the I could see it working. Um, I I could see it totally not working. Um, I think he was someone who I I was looking at the draft board um and we we did a live show for future socks myself and james fox who runs the the main podcast and and we did a live we did a live reaction to the draft um and i three picks in advance i looked at the board and i said the white Sox are totally going to take jacob gonzalez and i'm totally not going to be happy about it and that's exactly how it went um and that's okay i i don't i'm not out on him i think there's still something to tap into there but I'm definitely, I would say I'm a little lower on him than the consensus. And I think he could end up being a fairly low impact hitter. The walks are there, which is good. He does have a pretty solid approach, but I just don't know how much he's going to hit. Um, didn't, don't I recall Chris Getz saying that uh, he likes the new retooled uh, Jacob Gonzalez, that uh, he, he made a lot of improvements over the winter. And, you know, he is a high pedigree guy. So, um, you know, let's see, let's see what he looks like in uh, April. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see him because he's someone who was almost like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ding a guy for his first taste of pro ball, especially after a long college season. But it was right. almost looking like a definitive no. Like I was like, oh, this is not good for a first round pick. Um, but you know, I hope there's a new swing because he's got a pedigree. Like in Southern California, he was like the man. Like in high school, like he was, he was the one that you heard everybody talking about. And then he went to Old Miss and he was good. Um, so I'm actually, I'm hoping that that swing gets fixed because it's a wonky swing. Like it, it doesn't look like it makes any sense at all. Um, uh, but he able, he was able to hit college pitching. So I think he should be able to make some adjustments and let's hope the new white Sox like front office really like starts optimizing some of these prospects and everything like that. Cause it did always kind of suck to see like, you know, like they, they, it didn't seem like players took that next step forward in the old regime. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a lot to consider here with the new the new regime and Bannister and a lot of the other guys that are kind of controlling the farm system now. Um, it's exciting. I, I think we're we're looking forward to it because it does feel like kind of a new era of White Sox baseball um, and just something that we we want to see what this next generation looks like because this last five year plus rebuild just was was frustrating. And the reality is that a lot of White Sox fans just grew very just upset and just annoyed towards the franchise um, over the last, you know, seven, eight years. So I think we're in an era where the farm system is in a better place than it's been in years. And there's a lot of pieces that we are going to continue to monitor because there's, there's some depth. I, I found myself for the first time this year, having a hard time making my top 30, not because I 
couldn't find players for it, but because I needed to figure out how to order guys. Last year, I remember making it and I was like, I don't even know who slots in in 20 through 30. This year, it was like I had 40 something guys on my list who I could realistically make a case for the top 30. So I think in general, we're just we're just excited to see the evolution. Um, and there's a lot of these players that whether it be from a fantasy perspective, or I know we're at this point, we're just talking baseball, which is what I love to do. Um, and I'm glad we got you here to do it with us. Uh, but you know, whatever perspective you're looking at it from there, there's a lot of players that are worth keeping an eye on. It's interesting, Reese, um, given the some of the trades at the deadline and the last two draft classes, the White Sox have a lot of depth at both pitching and catching. There are some positions they're a little weaker, you know, when they traded Dominique Fletcher and Deloach, they come in as the two top rated outfielders now. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of depth on the mound. So like Elijah said, you know, we're hoping that the new development staff led by Brian Bannister can really turn these guys into major leaguers and help them reach their potential. I'm hoping so too, because like there are a bunch of like Peyton Pellett's interesting, Sean Burke's really interesting. I mean, maybe, you know, because we have like basically back to back to back, um, Prelander uh, Barrero, Peyton Pellett, Jake Eater, Sean Burke, and then Seth Keener. And I think like, you know, if this is an organization that's actually going to start pumping out pitchers, that's going to be great because you can always trade pitching. I mean, we saw like the Yankees. Like, I mean, the Yankees are the supercharged version of this. They keep pumping out pitchers that they can keep trading for position players. Like that's like, you know, that's an easy way to fix your major league team and fix everything is just continue to pump out pitchers because you can never have enough of them. And, you know, you find out which ones work for you and which ones don't. Like Nick Mastrini probably will work for them. Noah Schultz hopefully works for them. I mean, he's, it's, it's all, you know, ultimately how can, uh, you know, a 19, 20 year old stay healthy and everything like that. That's the ultimate thing with him. Um, so yeah, I've, I also noticed that going through their system. I mean, you got Kai Bush in that um, trade with Edgar Cuero. I think there's, and it seemed like they made that concerted effort to go after pitching. And I think that's the right thing to do. I know everybody wants the bats because bats are more stable, but if you can develop and start signing and drafting that like baseline of pitching, that just helps you out like later on down the road and you can always find position players later. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, well, this was wonderful to talk some prospects with you, Reese. Uh, we really appreciate it for everybody that's getting ready for fantasy drafts and, and prepping for their dynasty league. This is a good place to listen. Um, you can find some White Sox to, to add to your roster. You know, I, I'm I'm rostering Brian Ramos and Noah Schultz and all these other players in my league because you got to have some White Sox if you're a White Sox fan to, to have fun with it. So really appreciate you coming on, Reese. Um, it was wonderful to talk to you. And uh, we, Jeff and I, will be back for everybody else next week for the next edition of the Roundup. Great. Thanks, Reese. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.